Welcome to Tech Mobility Topics. If you're just joining us, this is the Tech Mobility Show, formerly known as Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester. When I was a freshman in college, I read a book by a scientist named Philip Wiley called The End of the Dream. It was an ecologically pessimistic book that, for some reason recently, I felt led to track down and reread. Long story short, the writer had little hope for mankind, who ignorantly killed the planet, less, and even less hope for the planet Earth, which he regarded to be much more fragile than it actually is, and I say, thank God. The book was written in 1970, a year before he died, and the reason why I'm talking about this book is that for this feature, this segment reminds me of something that could have very well happened uh, been a trigger for one of the many cataclysmic events that happened in that book. This is topic B. So what am I talking about? Did you know, first of all, there's something called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And I remembered something about it, but they said it's, yeah, it's ugly. This region between Hawaii and California has become a giant garbage soup because currents drag in floating debris that accumulates over time. So why are we talking about this? How about this this floating ocean garbage is home to a surprising amount of life from the coast? Let me stop right here. Tell you what's got me freaked out. Anytime man starts jerking around with ecology, environment, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The problem is in the open sea, we don't know because nobody's studying all of it. What's happening out there with all the chemicals that are going into the ocean from all parts of the world, recombining and coming into all this stuff. The end of the dream talked about a lot of that kind of stuff with some very ugly, nasty, gross consequences. The man, uh, Philip Wiley, had the background in all those sciences, which made it credible, no matter how pessimistic. This reminds me of it. The article that I'm looking at is from NPR, and it shows... A, a piece of plastic debris that had been colonized by both coastal barnacles and a gooseneck barnacle from the open ocean. The premise is that stuff from the coast would not survive in the open sea. Guess what? It is. And that's what they're finding. Scientists are studying a giant collection of plastic trash floating in the middle of the ocean, open ocean, that have found some unexpected inhabitants. Dozen of marine species that generally don't generally stick close to the coast. Among the plastic debris, researchers found all kinds of non-native species from anebas to worms to little crustaceans. Yeah, worms. Yeah, again, this book. Yeah, mm, crazy stuff. To find that many coastal species on a relatively small size sample size was shocking, said Lindsay Harum, a marine ecologist who did this research while working at the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. We do a lot of stuff. We got junk in space. We got junk in our oceans. We don't know how it's combining, recombining. We've got melting ice caps, which is screwing around with the pH in the ocean water. Could it be that the combination of all this stuff together is causing some stuff that we're going to have to deal with in the years to come? This sounds interestingly enough, but uh, let me key into something for you, the way that nature works a little bit. These little things will draw bigger animals that come to feed, which will draw still bigger animals. And depending where this flows, mankind may get to deal with it as other animals that are not good for us get close to us and try to interact dealing with this. 
again, it. I remember hearing about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. If I remember correctly, it's about the size of Texas out there. Junk. As we started growing through the plastics, ended up that we saw coastal species on 70% of the 105 debris items that uh, ecologists said. And even though biologists knew that coastal species can occasionally travel on ships or floating debris, scientists had long thought the coastal species couldn't live long-term out at sea or establish new communities there. What does that end up meaning, folks, in terms of what else will happen and what other, what other creatures it will draw as a result of being someplace it should not be? The reason scientists believe that in the past is that because temp changes in temperature, solidity, and other available nutrients found in these two watery environments seem all like potential deal breakers, huh, till they're not. In 2011, back in March after the tsunami in Japan, forced marine biologists to rethink their old assumptions. Identifiable junk from the Japan started turning up in places like Hawaii years later carrying coastal species that it somehow managed to survive. Hmm. And did you know this? The Earth's oceans have five gyres, gyres, which are like whirlpools that pull things in. In each of these, garbage accumulates in so-called patches. We talked about the most famous one. I didn't realize there were more. The researchers asked for common plastic trash items like buckets, crepes, bottles, household items, ropes, and parts of fish traps. And then we had a wild card category, which was if they came across anything that was super weird and interesting but couldn't necessarily be categorized otherwise. I'm creeped out because stuff happens that gets away from mankind. It's called unintended consequences. Species already known to live in the open oceans were thriving on the plastic garbage too. But we also saw this very prominent and diverse group of coastal species that honestly we would not have expected to find. And what's more, as we said earlier, some of the coastal species were reproducing on their makeshift floating plastic homes. Over two-thirds of the time, there were coastal and open ocean species living together on the same space of trash meaning that they must now be interacting. What kind of weirdness will come up from that? And what does that mean to the ecology of the area? Superimposed on everything else that's going on. And as this garbage breaks down, what other chemicals are being released into the water? And what kind of impact is that having on this? What does that interaction look like? We're unsure, but there's definitely competition for space, right? Again, said the marine biologist. And that the unlikely neighbors also probably compete for food and may eat each other. But what if they don't? And the researchers spotted coastal uh, aniba, which were eating a kind of purple snail that was native to the high seas. Aha! Again, non-native invasive species. Here we go again. The kind of small creatures examined for this study often serve as food for larger species. Uh-huh. What is this going to draw now? And they continue to be surprised at such high number of coastal species. And they said beyond the surprise, and this is, yeah, ironic, I think that the implications could be huge, is what they said. We see that it's not just something that is normal now, but it's happening all the time. 
and that could risk the increase the risk of species finding new places to take hold and become invasive. Again, it's a bit scary. And they didn't see such a diverse array of coastal life in the South Pacific, but they said this may be because it's a more harsh, nutrient-poor environment. But on the other hand, this study makes her wonder whether the South Pacific is really a small number of coastal species out there or if the researchers just haven't found them yet. Yeah. The end of the dream. What's going on out there and what kind of impact is it going to have on the rest of us in the years to come? That is the scary part. Stuff traveling, but again, unintended consequences of the garbage we put out there. Now we're going to find out what these species will do, and what kind of critters they will attract to the feeding frenzy. <laughs> we are the Tech Mobility Show. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Kent Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. These days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. 